The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Hi, and welcome to Big Universe. I'm Jim Leffer. I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. Joining me today is that special guest co-host, Royce Christian. Royce is an actor, speaker, writer, and documentary film director. He's even had a television show in the UK. He's the author of the book, Scripting the Life You Want. Hi, Royce. So happy to have you on today. I'm so excited for this interview. And Scripting the Life You Want is now in 39 countries in Spanish and in audiobook form, ebook, and print. So if you have any friends that speak Espanol and you're listening... Go pick it up and tell them about it. Um, bueno, I am very... bueno. What are you yeah, up to? Bueno. What are you up to? Uh, oh, it, you know that that crazy pandemic that never seems to end. Uh, oh my goodness, it's hit a lot you of... hard, hasn't it? Well, and that's so personally me, no, but my husband and my mother and my sister and they, a lot of people know my, my mom, sister and dad live two doors down. So I've been nurse for the last few weeks. And oh my goodness. Uh, if I'm being honest, I'm exhausted, but I'm all also like very spooked out and i don't want to jinx it just because thank god i <laughs> have not got it and because i don't think we could right. take one person falling down but other than that uh good just really excited for 2023 and what about you what, what do you have anything exciting coming up this year i feel like you always have things cooking on the back burner i know you not, can't always talk about them but i've got things, things cooking I'll, I'll be i'll be shy about it i've got things cooking. okay okay all right Me too. we'll both be shy We'll be uh we'll be looking to uh, have a good conversation with Julia about writing. I love her new book. Have you, what did you think about her book? I well I this is hilarious. So I wrote about her. I mean I, I've written about her in my book. So I it, it was it's just all of her. I think she's just so prolific and everything that she writes is so down to earth. And I think especially if you have friends or family who aren't into anything spiritual or new thought based, she's a great sort of entryway or bridge into that world without making the, you know, the reader feel alienated. And uh, this book in particular, I think is my favorite of hers at a really long time. And I mean, she's Julia Cameron. She's a literal legend. I mean, she was married to Martin Scorsese and she's had, you know, but millions of books sold. I think the artist way was number one for years so i'm just like five million copies sold i think yeah that's pretty good that's pretty darn good yeah she is i mean she i'm i'm excited to get to know her but she's just fascinating uh you know she comes from this hollywood royalty kind of background and just herself in this the publishing world you know she's royalty so i'm nervous can you tell if you're listening (laughs) (laughs) well i i think we should go straight to the interview you ready for that i am Hailed by the New York Times as the Queen of Change, Julia Cameron is credited with starting a movement in 1992 that has brought creativity into the mainstream conversation in the arts, in business, and in everyday life. She's the best-selling author of more than 40 books, a poet, songwriter, filmmaker, and playwright. Her tools are based in practice, not theory. The Artist's Way has been translated into 40 languages and sold over 5 million copies to date. Her latest book is Write for Life, Creative Tools for Every Writer. Hi, Julia. Welcome back to Big Universe. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's so wonderful to have you on. You you must like us okay. You've been on a couple of times now. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let me, the first question I have for you is, why did you write uh, this particular book, Write for Life? Well... I have been a writer for 56 years. I'm 75 years old. Uh, And so I've been writing for a long time. uh, And I hadn't written anything about writing in 20 years. So so let me ask you, um, 
the the basic tools you talk about the basic tools let's let's run through those real quick because i know these are foundational to your to your method um first is morning pages what is that again morning pages are three pages of longhand morning writing about absolutely anything. So you're sort of sweeping all of the debris into the center of the room where you can cope with it. Uh, and uh, it's- I've been doing morning pages with my husband for four years now and it's changed my life. I actually wrote about it in my last book because it's just that your, your method is just so powerful because like you said, it clears the clutter. It gets rid of all of the junk and it's really, freeing it's one of the best tools i think if anybody out there is listening that i've ever come across and you know julia is responsible for this i actually always wanted to ask where exactly you what was the process that led to that as a tool for you like what got you there well i was a hollywood screenwriter uh, and i had written a movie for john voight uh, and he his partner called up and said it's brilliant uh, and I thought, oh, goody. Uh, but then I couldn't get them on the phone again. Uh, and I thought, oh, dear, I must have something to do. Uh, and I moved to Taos, New Mexico, a little mountain town, wow. uh, to an adobe house at the end of a little dirt road. Uh, and I got up in the mornings, and my daughter was still sleeping. She was a toddler. Uh, I got up in the mornings and I wrote three pages of longhand morning writing. Uh, and it was something that I was doing to console myself uh, because I felt like, oh, my screenwriting career is over uh, and I don't know what to do. Uh, and so I found myself writing pages, which eventually told me what to do. Wow. That's amazing. What a great story. I just think that they're, they're, it's such a unique tool too, because there's so much freedom in it. But like you said, this structure sort of erupts out of you after you do it for even just a couple of days, uh, you start to find this sort of pattern of where issues are and how to fix them that come out in this. Sometimes, you know, I'll, when I do it, I'll just Sometimes I write the same sentence over and over again, or I'm writing a dream I remember that I had, and then it just sort of just starts to just come out. And anything that I've been asking for help with or wanting some guidance on, it's it's like a direct connection. So I think it's a it's a. I'm sorry that that you were so that you had such a painful experience that led to that, but I'm grateful for it because I think you've helped millions of people with just that. But I mean, there's so many books, and we're here to talk about your new one, which is so so fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So let's just to recap, I want to run through the major tools. We've got morning pages. We've got artist dates. What's the artist date again? Well, an artist date is a once a week solo expedition to do something that's fun or interesting to you, something that's enchanting. So it, in other words, an artist date is a signed play. Uh, and when I'm teaching, I will say, I have a tool for you. It's a nightmare. You'll have to <laughs> get up 45 minutes early uh, and write. And people will say, oh, work on my creativity. I get it. I'll work. But then if I say, now I have a tool that I want you to go out once a week and play, 
suddenly they become skeptical. They fold their arms across their chest. They tilt their head to one side uh, and they say, play. I don't see what play has to do with working on my creativity. And I'll say, well, we have a tool uh, and it's festive and enjoyable. Uh, and you simply have to resist your resistance and do it. Uh -huh. uh, we have an expression, the play of ideas, but we don't realize that that's a prescription, which right. is play. And you will have ideas. Yeah, it's it's actually I it's another I, I've been doing it since I first got a copy of this book, and I had done a version of it myself. Uh, I grew up in LA. I was on TV when I was little, and then I wrote as well. Very similar uh, stories you and I have. I went from acting to being a writer to now being an author of self help books. But the idea of taking myself on a date, I think it's sort of scary sometimes to creative people because we feel like, especially if we're stuck in a rut that it's like we're cheating somehow, or, you know, that we should be focused on our major project. But what I found with this tool that you, you've put out into the world is I've had some of my best ideas in the last month and a half since I've started taking myself out. I'm doing a little bit more regularly than prescribed, but I have been having a lot of success with it. And I think play is, you know, it unlocks something that other forms of, you know, other forms of I, I don't even know what the right word is, the self-therapy, uh, don't, you know, there's something different about just treating yourself and, and that self-love and playing at the same time that unlocks a lot in a creative person. Julia, what's an yes. artist date for you? Yeah, what, what's an artist date that you would go on? Well, my favorite artist date is going to a pet store where they have a large gray bunny named <laughs> George. Uh, get to the store i'll ask the owner can i pet george uh, and he'll say <laughs> yes george would enjoy it so i pet george uh, and it gives me a sense of wonder a sense of awe a sense of festivity uh, a, a sense of grace uh, it gives me a great deal just to make contact with this wonderful creature you know, it's funny, they say, you know, follow the rabbit, follow the white rabbit to your creativity. You know, Alice falls down the rabbit hole. It's funny, that's interesting to me that, that you, one of your favorite dates is to go- Literally rabbit, following which, the rabbit, right. It symbolically takes you into a new world in, in the archetype of literature. And you as such a, a world-renowned writer and author, finding a rabbit as your source of creativity on your date is just I think the coolest thing ever I think everybody listening will probably agree well everybody listening should get a chance to pet George <laughs> is George that in, sounds in like a great New York idea or, yeah where's where is George at <laughs> Evanston Illinois yeah Evanston all right well if you're listening and you're in Evanston you got to go seek out George go I seek out now. George so my I, I want to really dive into the book for a little while and and just ask about some of the other tools and insights you have there. And one of the tools that you introduce in this book is a daily quota. Now that's a scary that sounds scary to some people, but what what do you mean by a daily quota? Well, a, a daily quota is a small, manageable amount of writing that your imagination tells you I can do this today. So a daily quota isn't very much. 
Uh, it's, it's just a smidgen. Uh, and what happens is that the smidgens add up. Uh, and so uh, you, you do your daily quota, you maybe write two pages a day. Uh, and then the next day it's four pages, and then it's six pages, and then it's eight pages. And what I have found with the daily quota uh, is that it is encouraging uh, and it gives you a sense of authorship and, and accomplishment. And accomplishment. Yes, you've done your daily quota, you've improved life one iota. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And you go to bed that night feeling like I've done something. I've 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 worked toward it. And it's just there's a sense of just pride, I think, in accomplishment, even with that little bit. It's like when you first start taking walks or exercising, you know, you start with a block and then two blocks and then a mile or half a mile. And eventually, you, you know, every day you're running two miles and it really only started with a block. And I think it's a very similar process, just trying to, to, to give another version of it for, for people out there who, you know, I, I think everybody is creative fundamentally. And I think some people listen and they go, you know, I don't have any creativity in me. And, you know, I think your book will really help not just the creative types, but if they're, you're listening out there and, you know, you maybe don't fancy yourself a creative, this is a book that will really help you unlock your creative side. My dad is not a super duper creative guy. And he actually stole your book from my house about three <laughs> weeks ago. He lives two doors down and we've been wrestling over it, but he has been trying a lot of the, the exercises and reading everything. And he has been writing now. My father, you know, he's seven years old and never wrote anything in his life and can't even spell half of what he's writing. And that's fine, but he's loving it. And he seems so much happier and it's been three weeks. So this that's what I think is so magical about all of your books, but this new one in particular. Thank you. So the important thing about the daily quota is we're not supposed to, we don't go in thinking I have to write a whole screenplay right now. I have to write a whole book right now in this one sitting or as much as possible for as long as possible. It's, it's taking it in bite-sized portions. Yes. I think it's important to say, uh, that we, when we set out to do a project, we don't do it in one big gulp. Uh, and I, I have found that when you write uh, without a daily quota, uh, you may find yourself binging on your writing uh, and you binge on your writing. And then mysteriously for the next several days, you can't write at all. Uh, and so the daily quota keeps a sort of fund of creativity moving forward. Uh, and I, I think that it helps that you don't have to do it in one fell swoop. Right, and you talk about writing without rewriting initially and how writing leads to writing. And I think that's also something that goes together with this quota because I think a lot of people want to go back and rewrite and relook at it and just, you know, they, they get stuck at the beginning of the journey. Whereas you suggest, and I wondered if you could elaborate a little bit for everybody out there on why it's good to just write without going back and rewriting constantly. Well, I think that, that what we're trying to do is something called laying track. Uh, and it's left over from the days of railroads when they had to lay a certain number of miles every day of track. Uh, so what we do with what the daily quota is we lay track. 
uh, and we have been writing our morning pages uh, and they have trained us to trust our first thoughts because they are about anything and everything. And the very first thing that occurs to you is the way to start. So I would start out saying, it's a blue day. There's no wind in the pinyon tree. Uh, and then you go from there. Uh, and I, I think that it's important to feel that you are able to move ahead just an inch or two. Uh, and I, I think that that actually is the answer to people will say to me, well, Julia, you're so prolific. How do you do it? Uh, and I will say, well, I don't watch TV. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> and I, um, I go ahead a little bit each day. Uh, and at the end of a month, I have 60 pages of prose, which is very fast by anybody's standards, okay. but it's done by going slow. Interesting. Interesting. Now, another tool that you have is that you have several writing stations that you, you have different inspirations. And I wondered if you might describe your writing spaces for us and, and what kind of inspirations you, you, you get at each station there. Well, a writing station is a place where you are comfortable writing. So it can be in your house or it can be out at a cafe. Uh, it, it is something that when you sit down, you think, ah, now I can write. Uh, and I have a, a writing station that you can see in the background here, uh, yeah. which is uh, a library. Uh, and it's a big square room. Uh, and I use it to write big square prose. <laughs> <laughs> I have another writing station, which is in my living room, which has a plate glass window that looks out at the mountains. Oh, how nice. So when I sit there, I write expansively uh, and I may be there for a while. Uh, and then I have another writing station, which is in my exercise room. Uh, and that's where I go when I want to send off a quick communique. Ah, I love a, that. It's not a room where I would be comfortable staying for very long. <laughs> I think that's great too because you're also you're training your your body like the somatic response of okay when I'm at this station this is what you know you're free to write it's sort of a it's sort of a double way of not just working your mind into getting into the habit of writing you know in a very creative way but your body as well because our body associates with our environment so so strongly I think it's just brilliant well thank you you are welcome. <laughs> you heard it. Brilliant. Brilliant. So um, another tool that you mentioned is, you know, grabbing time. And, you know, a lot of times we say, I don't have time for this. You know, I need to spend, I need to spend 10 hours in a row working on something. And that's the only way I'm going to get it done. But grabbing time is different. You, you deal with the battle of time. What is that? What is that about? Well, we have uh, a mythology that says, if I had a sabbatical, I'd write a novel. If I had a large swath of uninterrupted time, 
But what I have found in 56 years is that I've never had a large swath of uninterrupted time. <laughs> nope. so I need to learn to grab time, which is to take the time I've actually got and use it. So I think um, that we are cornered uh, into saying, well, if I had 20 minutes, what could I write? Uh, and 20 minutes is a, is a very doable amount of time for anybody to find in their day. Especially uh, with smartphones now, people can take out their, their note app and their phone. I, I, I'm always doing it and fitting in pockets, but it's so easy just to start typing in that 20 minutes if you are out or traveling or not at your home or where your spaces are. It's so much easier these days to, to write in that time. And I think the morning pages and the other, uh, the other exercises in the book help you get the discipline to want to do that in those smaller amounts of time that you're now grabbing. So I think grabbing time uh, works very well. Uh, I have thinking now of an author named Scott Turow, uh, and he wrote an entire best-selling book on his commuter ride home. Wow, oh, neat! That's neat. awesome. You know, he had twenty minutes there, uh, and he used it to write. I love that. And I'd say if anybody is listening out there and that you have a book in you, there you go. Uh, Julie is telling you a secret there about Scott Turow. I mean, he wrote a whole book on a commuter train. That's amazing. So anybody can really do it. It's about the discipline. And you talk about writing as a, or I, I, I wanted to talk about maybe writing as a spiritual a spiritual practice because it's it's a like a spiritual path in so many ways. You, I, could you talk a little bit about your your thoughts on that? Well, I do think writing is a spiritual path. I, I think there's a direct line between your heart and your hand. Yes. Uh, I encourage people to write by hand. Uh, and as they do, one thought leads to another. Uh, and it leads to a sense of expansion. Uh, and morning pages are a way to directly connect to the universe. You're sort of saying to the universe, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I want more of. This is what I want less of. Uh, and you're, you're sort of tapping out an SOS. Uh, and the universe, in turn, responds to you. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's in the responding of the universe that we begin to think, oh, maybe there is something here. Maybe there, maybe there is a higher power. Oh, absolutely. I think that heart to hand connection is so important. I, I try to write by hand all my morning pages and as many things as I can. But what I've you know been blessed to meet so many different authors and I'm an author myself and I feel like I'm channeling a higher power when I write. It's like it's a connection that you, you know, it's almost sounds silly to some people if they've never had it, but I think it helps keep you young. I think it's why you look great. Oh my God, you look amazing. I think it's why a lot of people who work on this connection, they, they are more youthful They because they have more spiritual force or whatever you want to call it, prana, you know, God force, whatever that is, because you are initiating that flow into your body. And it's, I believe personally, it's invigorating to your system and it shows up physically too. So honesty is something you talk about as being a really important factor in your life in in your writing 
Um, what, what, what do you mean by that? Why is this an important factor? If I want to be original, I want to be original. I want to be something different and unique. It comes down to honesty, really, though. Tell me what you mean. Well, I, I think that when we ask to be original, we're asking sort of the wrong question. We're, we're saying, oh, I want to be brilliant. I want to be well thought of. I want to be admired. Uh, and then when we say, no, actually, you are the origin of your work. Origin is part of the word original. Uh, and at, as the origin, you need to ask yourself, am I being honest? Am I being authentic? Uh, and if you're being honest and authentic, your work is by definition original. Hmm. Uh, I I think that it's important to find ourselves examining our prose uh, in terms of authenticity. Uh, and when we can say, well, yes, I'm being honest here, uh, then the work speaks for itself. And it's it's about perfectionism too. I mean, it's it's, you know, I, I must be, you know, I must be perfect. And so I, I must be something else instead of being internal and authentic. Is that right? Well, I think it's important to dismantle perfectionism. I think perfectionism is a major block for people. Yeah. I have an exercise in the book where I say, if I didn't have to do it perfectly, I'd try if I didn't have to do it perfectly, I'd try. And we we fill in the blank 10 times. And by the end of the 10th time, we realize I don't have to do it perfectly. I can just try. Yeah. So you, you talk about um, using some of these things, aspects in a positive way, like, like depression. You using depression as a as an impetus towards things. What what do you mean by that? Well, I I think that we have a mythology that that says writing is born of discipline and of suffering. Uh, and what I have found uh, is that writing can be born of glee and joy and happiness uh, and. I would like to say, uh, I know we're doing this simply as an audio, but if you could see me, you would see that I'm wearing dark eyeglasses because I had eye surgery. Uh, and so I found myself writing uh, this little poem. This little poem goes out to my glasses. <laughs> Work as a shield until this time passes. Here's to dark glasses to hide my eyelashes. I feel quite glam. In fact, I am. <laughs> my writing's mysterious. It makes folks delirious. But simple tools are the trick that makes a writer tick. So I share what I know and lead others. So life without makeup is a dare I will take up. <laughs> I'll just wear my shades and masquerade as a competent teacher who isn't a preacher. I've stories to tell to devise 
to do, to avoid writer's hell. I love to write, blind or with sight. So what I found was that if I picked up my pen and tapped into humor, I was given power. I love it. I love that poem too. Wow, is that an exclusive? Is that the first time you've read it out loud? I've read it a couple of times. Well, if you're listening, I'm sure you haven't heard it yet. I love that idea of adding humor in too. I think that's, I mean, it's a great poem, by the way. God, how are you so talented? I know I just sound like a big suck up, but I really like, <laughs> I really think you're just really an incredible writer and such an inspiration as a writer myself. And I'm sure everybody out there listening. And I know Jim and I were talking about, you know, some people feel like they're too old to, you know, start you know, they feel like it's, you know, it's too late. Is that, is that something that you find to be true? Well, I, I wrote a whole book called It's Never Too Late to Begin Again. Uh, and I believe uh, that when we write, we, we tap into an inner source, which is positive and youthful. Uh, and our sense of ourselves as aging or decrepit or over the hill passes away as we put pen to page. Yes, a hundred percent. Now, I like how you term anxiety as banked energy, because we think of anxiety as a, as a bad thing, you know, it's, it's going to overtake us, but you, you talk about it as banked energy. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that when we're anxious, we have a, an inner edginess uh, that we need to seek to relieve. Uh, and I find that writing when we're anxious uh, is using anxiety as fuel. Mm. Uh, and writing when we're anxious can lead us out of anxiety and into optimism. I love that because fuel is a fantastic analogy because fuel can explode if you leave it out too long and don't do anything with it, or it can power your car or your jet and take you to brand new places. That's a great analogy too. Thank you. And jealousy. You know, if I'm jealous of another writer, how can I use that? Well, jealousy is actually a sort of map. Uh, and when we're jealous of someone, we usually have a specific reason that we're jealous. I'm jealous of a writer named Anne Lamott. <laughs> uh, and um, she's very spiritual uh, and very funny. Uh, and I always wish I could be spiritual and funny like Anne Lamott. So she's on my jealousy map. <laughs> what about anger? Can we use anger? I think anger is another source of fuel. Yeah. What if I say, I just, I'm not in the mood. I can't ever get in the mood to write. What can you do with that? Well, this is where morning pages are so useful because you write them and they're non-negotiable. You write them on the days where you don't feel like writing. You write them on the days where you're depressed or grumpy. Uh, and you write them no matter what. So what it does is train you that good writing can happen on bad days. Mm. Uh, you find yourself saying, I'm not in the mood to write, 
but I'm going to write and you write anyway. I love that. I think that's important if, you know, if you're listening to this too, and, and you talk on, on page 83 about, you know, instead of pride, just writing from a spirit of service. And that really touched me because I think tying into what we were just talking about, you know, it, it sort of goes hand in hand because we were feeling a certain way where maybe, you know, the normal uh, accepted whatever of, okay, I'll write when I feel this way is not there and you're feeling angry or anxious or whatever, you know, not normal feeling to write in. You know, if you look at it from writing from a place of service, I think that's something that you talk about that I've never heard before. And, and I think, you know, if you could elaborate a little bit for our listeners, that would be beautiful because it, it really puts a whole new mindset into place for, for writing when you're feeling emotions that maybe don't feel so great. Well, I think, uh, I think that before I got sober, which I did when I was 29. Uh, before I got sober, I was always trying to be brilliant, impressive, uh, eloquent, uh, and it was torturous writing. I would write a sentence and then I would scratch it out because it wasn't perfect. Uh, and I had to have one perfect sentence following another perfect sentence. Wow. And then I got sober uh, and I was told, try to let the higher power write through you. And I said, what if it doesn't want to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it always does. And they said, well, just give it a try. So I put a little sign up that said, okay, God, you take care of the quality. I'll take care of the quantity. Uh, and I began trying to write a daily quota. Uh, and the daily quota was an opportunity for me to try to be of service uh, and to try and write what seemed to want to be written rather than thinking something up that I found uh, intimidating. Well, you may be jealous of Anne Lamont, but that sounds pretty spiritual and 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 witty to me. My goodness, I mean, I, I think that's a that's that's really interesting. It is so many times what wants to be written versus what we want to write. Right. What about competition? I mean, you know, we we you know, there's jealousy, and then we we feel like I need to compete with somebody else. I need to be able to uh, write as good as them. I need to be able to you know, be as successful as them. What does competition do to, to us as artists? Well, I think competition is asking the wrong question. We're saying, am I as good as so-and-so? Uh, and we're reading so-and-so and saying, looking at their finished work and saying, oh, it's so brilliant, I can't possibly compete. They've already written it uh, and it's wonderful. Uh, and I'm intimidated. Uh, and I think uh, that if you find yourself with a spirit of competition, you need to switch the dial a little bit uh, to make it a, a spirit of camaraderie. Mm. Where you find like yourself saying, oh, my idea here is actually similar to Stephen King's. Oh, that's. How... Right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I did not mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just gonna just it got me thinking how's Nigel these days? Uh, I don't know, not everybody out there might know who Nigel is, but talking about the self talk that we have with ourselves and not thinking maybe things are good enough. I'm curious how he is. And I'm also curious, uh, and hopeful you'll you could talk about Nigel a little bit for everybody. Well, Nigel is the name that I gave to my inner critic. Uh, and Nigel in my imagination is a gay British interior decorator. Oh, he who... sounds like someone I would have dated in my younger years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did date Nigel at one point. <laughs> and Nigel is somebody who has impossibly high standards uh, and I can never write well enough to please Nigel. Mm. So uh, I think all of us have an inner Nigel. Uh, mm. and it's a wonderful idea to give it a name. I love that you gave him a name. It makes what do you, so much sense. And what do you do about Nigel? I mean, what do you do when, when Nigel comes up and starts be, being a pain? Well, this is where we go back fanatically to morning pages because there's no wrong way to write morning pages. So when Nigel peeps up and says, you're boring, you're repetitive, you say, Nigel, thank <laughs> you for sharing. Uh, and what you're doing, in effect, is miniaturizing your critic. Hmm. And it goes from being a booming voice of authority, you're boring, you're repetitive, to being a wee, squeaky voice, like a cartoon character. You're boring, you're competitive. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It just gets gayer and gayer. And I can say it because I'm gay. <laughs> now... You also talk about bribing yourself. What are some bribes that you use to, to do the writing and how does that work? Well, I think we need to say that writing can be coaxed ahead, not bludgeoned ahead. Uh, and so I would say uh, when I was writing this book, if you finish this essay on honesty, I'll take you out for a piece of cherry pie. Ooh. So... Um so this whole book was written on cherry pie and soy chai lattes. <laughs> and if it's a big project, you you can have a bigger bribe. You can say, uh, if you finish this section of the book, I'll buy you a new dress. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And you talk about making sure that you keep the drama on the page because we have dramatic lives and we try to, you know, we sometimes things blow out, but you say, keep it on the page. What do you mean by that? Keep the drama on the page. Well, I, I think that we have a mythology that says that writers' lives are dramatic. <laughs> but what I have found is that if I keep the drama on the page, uh, instead of engaging in it on my on my turf, so to speak, uh, then I will be able to be much more productive. Uh, and it's interesting how we can be swept up by other people's agendas mm -hmm. and they, they distract us from the work at hand. How do you deal with rejection? 
You said that uh, you said in the book that Mozart Ghost, the book Mozart's Ghost, was rejected forty three times before publishing, which is astonishing to me that uh, that it would be rejected that often. Um, but I, I know a lot of authors experience this. You know, it's it's part of the process of of the publishing. But how do you deal with rejection? Well, I, again, I think it's a matter of humor being necessary. So um, I wrote a crime novel uh, and it had 19 good reviews and I was ecstatic. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the 20th review came in and it was unfortunately in the New York Times. Oh, oh my no. goodness. <laughs> it was negative. Uh, the man that reviewed the book was named Bill Kent. Uh, and Bill Kent was offended that my detective hero liked Carl Jung. He was evidently a Freudian. Oh, my goodness. So he spent his whole review of my book attacking Carl Jung and ignoring the work I'd done. Oh, my goodness. And I was feeling terrible. Uh, I, I felt like, oh, my God, I've been shamed by the New York Times. Uh, and then I thought, wait a minute, Julia, you have a tool. So I wrote a little poem that go went, this little poem goes out to Bill Kent, who must feel awful the way that he spent his time critiquing Carl Jung instead of on the book I'd done. Uh, and as soon as I got the, the little poem down on paper, I had a sense of my power returning. Ah. And so I believe in rhyme. I believe rhyming is a wonderful tool. Uh, and you just have to be willing to write bad poetry. <laughs> uh, when you're willing to write bad poetry, you can skewer your critics. I uh, love that. So I believe humor is the best weapon for dealing with rejection. And you, you know, you're very open about the fact that you mentioned earlier that you got sober at age 29. And I think a lot of people, when they deal with rejection, they go through, you know, periods where maybe they're drinking too much or they're doing, you know, substances or, or whatnot. I think I read somewhere that, I mean, you were at a point where Hunter S. Thompson was telling you to slow down. Like, so if you're the person <laughs> to probably ask this question to, for anybody listening who, you know, has, is having that struggle right now, you know, when you combine the the alcohol with, you know, and, and I know this from personal experience as well, with that inner critic stuff until you drop it, it's really hard. Is there, do you have any advice for people out there who maybe have struggled with substance abuse with drinking and, and, and also that extra layer? Because I've, I believe it's so much easier when you don't have the alcohol involved, right? I mean, there, what, what can people do to maybe if they want to start leaving that path of turning to some substance when they're, you know, feeling down on themselves? Well, again, I would say use humor. This little poem is about Coke. I think the Coke is no, no sort of joke. <laughs> I think that Coke can make you sad. I think that Coke can feel quite bad. And you just set your, yourself to rhyming. Uh, and the rhyming leads you to truth. Uh, and I, I think uh, this is where 
when you're writing morning pages, you have access, as you've said, to a spiritual connection. And that spiritual connection doesn't like it when you're blotto. Mm -hmm. So I think saying to the spirit, okay, help me please. Uh, and finding like-minded others uh, who are perhaps grappling with the same disease uh, is a, a potent defense. So I think um, prayer, although we, we have a hard time recommending prayer because we don't want to sound too woo-woo. <laughs> Hey, we're woo-woo on this show, so don't worry about that. Yeah, it doesn't sound woo-woo. Not these days, especially with the new generation. Everybody's into woo-woo. And it's not, you know, I just, I just, I pray out loud constantly. I just, I say, hey, universe, hey, angels, you gotta help me with this. Or, hey, thank you for that. I think I just sort of make prayer. And I look like a lunatic, I'm sure, to people sometimes, because I'm just, I'll just randomly blurt out like, Hey, in the name of 100% pure light, can you guys help me here with this? And I swear to you, 99 times out of 100, sometimes almost instantly, there is help or something happens that fixes it. So I'm a big believer in, in prayer. Woo-woo or not, it works. And it doesn't matter who you're praying to, or I just talk out loud, and I assume someone is listening. <laughs> as far as writing is concerned, how do you know how to get feedback from people you know getting feedback from the right people is important because other people can squash your you know your aspirations so what kind of questions do you ask people to get good feedback well i think what we're talking about here is needing to find what i call believing mirrors ah okay believing mirrors are people who are positive encouraging non-competitive and you you sort of survey your friends and you say, now, is, is this person competitive or is this person encouraging? And you ask yourself, am I encouraged when I talk to this person or am I discouraged when I talk to this person? Wow. Uh, I, I have you do an exercise where you create a circle and in the center of the circle, you put the names of the people who are safe for your creativity, who mm. are enthusiastic, supportive, encouraging, helpful. And on the outside of the circle, you put the names of maybe some friends that you had, had not looked at very closely, uh, who are competitive uh, and jealous. Uh, and then when you go to show your work, you show it only to the inner circle. Mm -hmm. You say, tell me what you liked. I love that. That's a beautiful way to go about it. I, I find a lot of times I've just, I get to the point where I just don't tell anybody what I'm working on until it's done and then it's out there. And, you know, but I love that idea of having a, a list of the very, very few, because I think it's important to get positive feedback. Julia, what's one final piece of advice as we wrap things up about writing for life? What what's one final piece of advice you'd give us give our listeners? Well, here we go sounding like a fanatic again. S start with morning pages. Use them to prime the pump. Write your morning pages daily. 
uh, and be alert for changes and shifts that you will feel occurring within yourself. Uh, and I, I think uh, from there, it's a short skip and jump to writing a daily quota uh, and grabbing time uh, and encountering your first thoughts uh, and using your first thoughts uh, as a um, like a springboard almost. Exactly, Rice. Yeah, it's I, and you can write um, morning pages if you know if you're listening. First thing, don't before you don't check your phone, don't turn on the TV, don't do anything else. It has to be the first thing, correct, Julia? Yes, because what happens is if you wait till later, you're interrupting yourself and you're taking what I call mental cigarette breaks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, first thing in the morning, and it can be gibberish. Like it can be, it, it, the first couple of times people might, you know, I think I wrote the same word over and over for like five sentences before it kind of started years ago, the first time I did it. And that's okay, because it's a safe thing right it's just just start writing even if it's a word or a sentence or just whatever fragment comes to you upon waking up correct exactly right okay good awesome <laughs> awesome well julia thank you so much for coming back on big universe it's been such a pleasure as usual to have you on oh thank you for more information about julia cameron check out her new book write for life creative tools for every writer and uh, find her online at juliacameronlive.com. Thank you, Julia, for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank, Thank you. you, Julia. Lots of love. Lots of love. Thanks to you. Royce, what's the best way for people to find out more about you? Uh, you can go to my website, Royce, like a Rolls Royce, and Christian spelled really weird. So it's C-H-R-I-S-T, like Christ, Y, like yellow, and then the letter N as in nope. So <laughs> RoyceChristian.com. Uh, I'm on, you know, I'm on uh, Twitter, TikTok, and that's, a, that's my main platform. So you can just look up my name. I mean, it's, I'm the only race Christian that I know of. Uh, also pick up your book, Scripting the Life You Want. Yes. And, or uh, I, I'm going to butcher it in Spanish. It's, it's a scribe. I know that's the first word, uh, but it's in Spanish. It's great. Yeah. You can get the audiobook in Spanish or English. You can get the, the ebook or uh, the, the print copy anywhere books are sold. So please go pick that up. And uh, I look forward to connecting. I'm always, I love getting emails from readers or people have questions. So very, very awesome. open. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you want to contact me, you can reach me at jim at youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter with Royce Christian. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.